Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John is going to conclude this series entitled PowerPoints. This is part number four, and it is subtitled People of Power. And now here is Pastor John with today's message. To the book of John, the Gospel of John, And as we've been in the last several weeks, um, we're going to be all over the place between John 14 and John 17. John 14 and John 17. And we'll be in various different places. So if you just want to sort of open there or open your app, whatever it is, however you want to engage with the Word today, that's, that's all cool. So we've spent the last few weeks talking about spiritual power. In a, certain, in a series called PowerPoints. Jesus, on the last night of his life before his crucifixion, had, a, had an extended conversation that was recorded in the Gospel of John with, his, with, his, uh, with 11 of his 12 disciples. Judas had already gone to, to put into motion his betrayal. And Jesus is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and within hours he will, have, he will be arrested, and within just a few more hours will be uh, convicted and crucified. And he's having this conversation with his, his 11, and he's telling them about the spiritual power that they're going to need to operate in in order to carry on the work that he started on this earth. And then he ends it in chapter 17 with a prayer for them, and we're going to, we're going to see some, some uh, parts of that prayer. So remember what we've talked about so far. We've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is our power source. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit when I go. And, and he's, so we, we recognize the Spirit is our power source. And we also recognize from last week that we are the power lines. We're the way, we are the transmission of spiritual power from, from God to the need, wherever it is, whoever we're trying to minister to. Now, what I want to talk about today is, is maybe more specific and maybe even more practical in some sense. So we've been highlighting the desperate need for churches to operate in spiritual power, but we also recognize that we can't be a church of power until we're filled with people of power. That the, the church will never exceed the spiritual capacity or the spiritual commitment of the people who make it up. So today, I want to finish this series with a message called People of Power. People of Power. And I want us to explore some, some questions, answer some questions. And the, and the first one is this, how do we know when we're walking in spiritual power? Like, how are we going to recognize it? We've been kind of beating this horse about spiritual power. How are we going to know when it shows up? What's the evidence of spiritual power in our lives? And, and, and if we are looking for a church or if we are in a church, we walk in and we're trying to figure out, is this a, a, a church of power? Are these people of power? What should we look for? What should we look for? Now, obviously, a person who's full of the, of the Holy Spirit should be bearing the fruit of the Spirit and should be operating in the gifts of the Spirit, should be led by the Spirit. So all of those things are true, 
But in these four chapters that Jesus is having this conversation and, and this prayer, um, he describes some things. You actually repeatedly in a, in a number of cases, he describes some things that are going to characterize people of power. And so we want to talk about those three things now. Here's the first one. Uh, a person of power is a person of joy. A person of joy. I almost set aside the whole rest of the message and just focused on joy because we're so lacking that in today's church. See, I recognize that joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the second one mentioned. But Jesus made mention of it more than one time in these four chapters. And I, want, uh, I wanted to start with this because it's in stark contrast to what the world would have you believe about a person who is spiritually powerful. Now, they express it in different ways in movies and in books or, or, or in TV shows, and it's not a godly spiritual power, but when, when the world conceives of someone who has spiritual power, what do, they, what do they look like? They're usually some old, brooding, isolated, weird person who speaks in these high-sounding proverbs that you don't really understand and just unapproachable to the common person. Like you have to go across, you have to climb a mountain to get there. Or you have to go across a galaxy to find this person. And it's just all kinds of weirdness. So, but that's not the reality. That's not the biblical reality of what a spiritually powerful person looks like. And I want to prove it to you by asking a really simple question. Are kids attracted to a person uh, that is portrayed in the world as a spiritually powerful person? That when they do you see kids climbing a mountain to meet with that spiritually powerful person? Nah. Nah. Ain't no kids trying to get up in there because they look at him like, that's a scary joker right there. I don't want nothing to do with that. Right? Here, here's another question. Do, do sinners, are sinners attracted to that kind of person? No. They're put off by those people. They seem unapproachable. Seems like they, they, can never, they can never have a conversation with somebody like that. So hey, let me make the point this way. And I think we could all agree. Jesus Christ was a spiritually powerful person. Would you agree with me on that? However, sinners and children flocked to him. They were attracted to him. And I have to believe that part of, part of the reason that they were attracted to him is because of the joy that he walked in. We don't even think about the fact that Jesus Christ was a person of joy. We think, oh, he was a person of sacrifice. Oh, he was a person of love. Oh, he was a person of wisdom. Jesus was full of joy. Amen. He was fun to be around. Amen. I just blew your little minds, didn't I? Because in all of the pictures that people have painted down through the years, Jesus is a pasty white dude with, with long hair, with kind of this weird, weak-looking kind of a smile on his face. His hands are always like this for some reason. He's just in awkward positions. It's the weirdest looking thing in the world. If you base your faith on pasty white Jesus through the, through the history of art, you're going to be so screwed up. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not him. He was full of joy. He was full of joy. What was the, where, where was the first miracle? Where did that take place? At a wedding. Y'all ever seen a Jewish wedding? They had a blast for like a week. They danced and they celebrated, had a great time, and Jesus was there. Do you think he was the wallflower in the corner? Never smiling, just like reading his scroll of the Bible or something? 
Jesus was full of joy. And I want to show it to you in John chapter 15. Verse 11, John 15, 11. We're going to come back to this in a minute for a different reason. Jesus said, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Jesus had joy. And he said, yes, your joy will overflow. So first Jesus talks about his joy. He said, I'm telling you all this stuff about how to walk in spiritual power so you'll be filled with my joy. The joy that Jesus had. And it was so important for Jesus to communicate this to them. He wanted to make sure they realized that walking in the power of the Holy Spirit would not just make them powerful, but make them joyful. And he, and he was so intent on making sure they understand that, that he said it again. The, whole, the next sentence, he said, yes, because they're thinking, no. He said, yes, your joy is going to overflow. It's going to overflow, not just a little bit of joy, not a weak, creepy smile on a pasty white face, but like a big old bunch of overflowing joy, joy that you can't contain. When you walk in spiritual power, you will have enough joy to share with other people. And is that not the point? Is that not the point of spiritual power, that, that the spiritual power is given to us, not for us, it's not for our entertainment, it's not for our fulfillment, the power of the Holy Spirit is not given to us to, to make our church services more entertaining, it's not given to us, to, he's not given to us to give us goosebumps and good feelings, he's given to us to advance the kingdom of God and his purposes. And the joy that he brings with him does just that. He gives us power to have joy in this world. So Jesus had joy and he wanted his disciples to have joy. Amen. Let me show it to you in a couple more places. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 verse 21. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said... Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, look at, what, look at what Jesus is thankful for. This is funny. Thank you, that you that, for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Not even Jesus, <laughs> at least not on the earth. Thank you, Lord, that you hid these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and you revealed it to these people who are childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Again, we, we see clearly stated Jesus was a person who was both full of the Holy Spirit, full of spiritual power, but also full of great joy. And look at the source of the joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, I, okay, so Jesus had joy when he was on the earth. The Holy Spirit has joy? Yes. You can't have, you can't have a joyful Jesus and a sour spirit. That's not how that works. So doesn't it stand to reason that if Jesus left us the Holy Spirit as our source, that we should also be filled with joy? A, spiritual, a spiritually powerful person should also be a joyful person. And here's, and here's one more place I want to show it to you. In these four chapters, John 16, 19 through 24, actually. So Jesus uh, realized they wanted to ask about it. He said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? So I said, in a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. He's talking about his crucifixion. I tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You'll grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. 
It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy. Isn't that truth? That's the truth because women have more than one child. Something has to make them forget the pain, right? Or they'd be like, never again, never again, never. So when her child is born, the anguish gives away to joy because she brought a new baby into the world. So you, don't, you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. And then you'll rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you, you won't need to ask me for anything. I'll tell you the truth. You'll ask the Father directly. He'll grant your request because you ask in my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you'll have abundant joy. Abundant joy. Jesus said, listen, when you see the fulfillment of the gospel, when you see my death, burial, resurrection, my crucifixion, my resurrection, you see all of that. When you, and when you learn to operate in the spiritual power that I'm giving you, you'll have abundant, wonderful, endless, unstealable joy. A person of power is going to be a person of joy. So listen, if you walk into a church and all you see are sour faces, when you have an interaction with them and, and it's just sour, listen, don't be fooled by any other demonstration of power. They can shout and dance and swing from the chandeliers all they want to. They can pray and preach all day long if they want to. But if there is no joy accompanying their power, then their source may not be the Holy Spirit. So don't be fooled by the angry spiritual giant. Don't be fooled by the brooding sage who thinks there's something special. Joy is not just for the church. It's for living our everyday lives. And if Jesus Christ walked in joy, if he walked in the joy of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he was headed for the cross, then, then how much more can we walk in the joy of the Holy Spirit, knowing he's already paid the way? Now let me make a distinction here about joy. Joy is not the same as happiness. It's not the same as happiness. Happiness is an emotion that you feel when things are going well. Hey, here's the problem. How often do things go well? <laughs> like sometimes, but most of the time, not so well. Sometimes worse than others, but it, it almost never, if you, build, if you build your life on the circumstances of your life, you're, you're rarely going to feel what you want to feel. Joy in the New Testament is based on spiritual realities, not physical ones. Joy is this deep down sense of well-being that, that lives in the heart of a person who knows that all is well between them and God. Amen. That, that and see, we're not, we're not denying physical realities. We're not saying we're not in a difficult situation. We're not saying this is a bad thing. We're simply choosing to focus on a higher reality, Amen. on a recognition that no matter what we face, good or bad, it's temporary. It's going to pass away. But what we have with the Lord is never going to pass away. Right. See, joy is so much more of a stable platform than happiness. Much more so. Why is that? Because when we build our lives on the relationship that we, that we have with God and the promises we have with him, then we can be the same every day because those promises never change. 
So you can be in the middle of the fight of your life and have joy. You can be in prison for preaching the gospel and still have joy. You can, you can have joy while everything else in your life is falling apart. See, here's the great news about joy and circumstance. Joy and circumstance. If your joy isn't defined by circumstance, then it can't be confined by circumstance. If it's not defined by it, it can't be confined by it. If, it didn't get, if you didn't get joy from it, then it can't keep joy from you. And somebody said, well, happiness happens, but joy abides. And I think that's right. And when we're abiding in Jesus, connected to him as the true vine, then we should have this abiding joy as an indicator of our spiritual power. So everything about our connection to Jesus, believing, loving, obeying, everything that we, that we receive as an expression of the power source in our lives, wh whether it's praying or proclaiming or testifying or serving, whatever it is, all of that stuff should fill us with joy. Should fill us with joy. People who walk in spiritual power should be people of joy. Now here's the second thing. If you're a person of power, you won't just walk in joy, you'll also walk in holiness. In holiness. I just let that hang in the air for a second and let you kind of process that. You walk in holiness. I want to show it to you in John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. So now this is the, this is the part of this conversation that, God, that Jesus is having with God. He, he's praying. He's praying as they're getting to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already kind of warming up his prayer time. And, and so he's wrapping things up and he's praying to God where they can hear it. And, and he said, so now I'm coming to you. He's, I'm coming home. I told them, these people right over here, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with what? Joy, there's joy again. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world hates them because uh, they don't belong to the world just like I don't belong to the world. If I, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to the world any more than I do. Now look at what Jesus said in verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And then verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus is praying for the disciples and he's praying for us. And he's asking God to do two things, sanctify and send. Sanctify and send. Those two things go hand in hand. Now, sanctification means to, be, to make holy. So, so if something's sanctified, it's made holy. And, and that's why in this translation it says make them holy. In, in some of the older translations it says sanctify them by your truth. It means the same thing. Set them apart for a purpose. Make them holy. Jesus said to God, sanctify them in this prayer. Sanctify them with your truth. Because a person of spiritual power will also be a person who walks in holiness. Listen, this is a little childlike, so this is a little silly, but I'm going to ask you a really dumb question, but I think it's going to help you see the point. Like, what is, what, what's the first name of the Spirit? What's his first name? Oh, it ain't really, but, you know, holy. 
holy. So how can we be full of the power of the Holy Spirit of God and also be filled with sin and with the desire for the things of the world? That, you, that's just, that's not a thing. Sanctify them, Jesus said. Make them holy with your truth, which is the word of God. Remember the first message in this series, uh, we have to get rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded in the truth, in the word of God. And, and then your love for Jesus moves that belief from, from knowledge, from thought to action. That's why he expects the word to sanctify us. And that's why the spirit leads us and guides us to truth because he wants to make us holy the way he's holy. And I want to show it to you in several, several places. For, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Y'all have heard that a thousand times, especially in the Pentecostal church. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. Reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That's the whole point is for us to be changed into his image. The spirit gives us freedom. He sets us free so that we can truly be a reflection of the character and nature of Jesus. Let me put it this way. He gives us a revelation of Jesus so we can be a reflection of Jesus. He gives us a revelation of Jesus so we can be a reflection of Jesus. That's holiness in a nutshell. That's it. We get, we, we get rid of all the things that interfere with the reflective property of our lives so that what comes off of us looks just like what comes into us. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 13. Uh, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Where's our freedom come from? Holy Spirit. He's our power source. But we're not to use that freedom to go right back out into the world and live just like we did before we met Jesus. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Amen. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it's God's will that, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you're God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love your Christian brothers and sisters, fear God, respect the king. Here's, here's what those three verses mean. How you live matters. Amen. How you live matters. It's one of our core values. They're on the wall in the lobby. They're all over the website. How you treat people matters is one of our core values. And it does because it's a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. If you want to know whether somebody is a truly a spiritually powerful person, look at how they treat people. So if you meet somebody who claims to be full of the spirit, but they're not concerned about their character, 
They're not concerned about their integrity. They don't think twice about how they treat people. They're not concerned about being holy. Then they might be a person who's full of charisma or they might be full of skill or charm or giftedness or talent. They might be full of manipulation, but they're not full of the Holy Spirit. At least not in a way that produces lasting fruit. Sanctify them with your truth. So that means that their lives, have, our lives, have to line up with the commands of Jesus, but it also means it has to line up with the commission of Jesus to go and make disciples. Remember, sanctification always goes hand in hand with being sent, sanctified and sent. You're set apart for a purpose. So right in the middle of Jesus' prayer, in 17, he says, sanctify them, Lord, with your truth. Your word is truth. And then in verse 18, he says, I'm sending them out just like you sent me. I'm sending them. And in verse 19, he starts talking about sanctification again. Why is that? Because sanctification sets us apart to be sent to continue the work of the Lord. Isn't that what we, we established as the premise of this whole series is that Jesus said, greater works than I've done are you going to do. We've got work to do, but we have to, so we have, we are, we are sent and, but we have to be sanctified to do that. So there's no such thing as a person of spiritual power who sits around and does nothing for the kingdom. That's not a thing. You've been sanctified for a purpose. You've been saved and sanctified and sent. And it's not to sit around, your purpose in life is not to sit around and find fault in the way everybody else is serving. Judgment and criticism are not spiritual gifts, they're sins. And people who operate in judgment and criticism are parasites in the body of Christ. They drain energy and they drain nutrients and they make everybody else sick. Jesus is calling us to the work of the kingdom. It's not a spectator sport. I heard an evangelist uh, one time say that he, some woman come up to him afterwards and he'd been running crusades and revivals and, and whatever and she just was all tore up about something and how he was doing this and, and all this kind of thing. And he said, well, ma'am, let me ask you, how do you win souls? And she started to stammer and and, and, and stagger around and he said, well, lady, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Amen. <laughs> the best way to silence a critic is to give him a job. Amen. Give him something to do because nothing's as easy as it looks. When you sitting with your, with your feet kicked back and a cool beverage in your hand, everything looks easy. But nothing's as easy as it looks. So football season is back. College football season is back. I'm not mad about it. I'm glad they're here. Glad we get something to watch. This is my favorite quote about football. A football game is where 100,000 people who desperately need exercise sit and watch 22 dudes who desperately need to rest. Is that not a football game? But is that also not a picture of the American church? Amen. Where we gather in our coliseums every week, great and small, and we watch the chosen few wear themselves out? 
That's not going to work. It does, it's not working. It doesn't work. That's why, that's why it was never the plan. It, it's time for every person to get in the game, to find your position, to take your place. Jesus didn't shed his blood and send his spirit for us to be holy homebodies. We've got to get up and get busy. People of power are people of joy and they're people of holiness that expresses itself in going and doing what we've been called to do, sanctified and sent. And here's the last thing. People of power are also people of unity. They're people of unity. I want, to see it in, I want you to see it in John 14, verses 9 through 11. Jesus uh, replied, now Philip said something dumb. You ever said anything dumb? And, and Jesus is like, for real? So here's Jesus' response. He said, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Because Philip said, Jesus, just show us the Father and, and we'll be satisfied. And, and, and Jesus was like, for real? We've lived together for three and a half years and you don't know the Father yet. He said, don't you believe? Now, pay, now, now try, to, try to follow this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I speak are not mine, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe that because of the, uh, because of the work you've seen me do. Now, did, did y'all follow all that? That's a little confusing, isn't it? It, there, I mean, there's adverbs and phrases and all kinds of stuff going on in there. And you're like, wait, well, hang on, who, who's doing what? The unity of the Godhead makes them indistinguishable from each other. Like, don't even worry about trying to sit down and make a list of what, so what's the Father's responsibilities and like what's the Son's responsibility? What, what is it the Spirit does that nobody else does? It's their unity that makes all this work. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he said, I'm sending you another advocate who's not going to leave you like I'm about to leave you, but I'm not really going to leave you because I'm going to send another one just like me. I mean, he's not like just like me, but he's the Spirit. It's no wonder that the disciples are going, hang on, can, you, can, can we write that down? Because we're going to need to study that a minute. It, it's their unity that makes it work. In one place, you see the Spirit called the Spirit of Christ. In the other place, you see him called the Spirit of God. Which one is he? Yes. It's both. We already saw it today in 2 Corinthians. He said, the Lord, who is the Spirit, listen, they're one. They're one. They're united. Same vision, same goals, same essence, no jealousy, no competition. Holy Spirit doesn't have an agenda separate from the Father. Jesus doesn't have a secret agenda. He ain't telling the Spirit and, and, and God. That, that's just not, that's not how that works. That, that, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, all in perfect unity. And listen, that's what he wants for his body. Amen. It's what he wants for his body. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we are people of spiritual power, then we're going to see and be the same thing in the body. So listen, if you walk into a church and you see even what appears to be signs and wonders and miracles, 
and you see what appears to be people worshiping God and serving God, but you hear them criticizing and gossiping and complaining, and you hear this person with this agenda and that person with that agenda, which are both in opposition to what the pastor's agenda is, listen, you just need to run, run away. Because that's not the Holy Spirit. That's witchcraft. That's rebellion. That, that church is a powder keg that's going to explode and hurt everybody. That, they're building a kingdom. It's just not God's kingdom. So I want to I slow down and I want to say this because I want, I want everybody to hear it. Because it's just so, it's, it's in stark contrast to what people assume about a person of spiritual power is like, or a church of spiritual power is like. So I want to say this uh, really slowly and clearly. A truly spiritually powerful church is a humble church, Amen. not an arrogant church. Now listen, if you, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you know why I need to say that. Because it seems that the more a, a person grows or a, a minister or a person grows in spiritual power, unfortunately, you often see them also growing in their pride and arrogance to the point that they have a, they have a very touch-me-not kind of attitude. To the point that I've heard of, of, of spiritual leaders saying, well, I don't even want people to look at me when I'm walking in because they'll drain the spiritual power from me. I'm like, for reals? I mean, your, your power is so weak that if somebody looks at you, it's going to drain from your body? What world kind of power? I don't want none of that anyway. Keep it. Don't let it leak on me. I don't want none of that. A truly, you'll recognize a person who is growing in true spiritual power because they are also growing in true humility. They're not getting more full of themselves. They're getting more full of the Lord. You can't have unity without humility. You can't because unity requires that we give up. Unity requires we set aside our own plans, our own thoughts, our own agendas, our own thing to pursue the mission and vision of God. The mission and vision of God for the body like what's good for us, not what's good for me. So we give up our preferences and we give up our plans and we give up our, our wishes and our desires and we just figure out what's, what's good for the body. So if we can't lay down our agendas, if we can't lay down our preferences, if we have to have our own thing, our own way, that's not humility, that's not unity, that's pride, that's religion, that's selfishness, and it's debilitating to the body of Christ. Imagine if the members of your body were working against each other. So Jesus came to die for us, to rise from the dead, and to give us resurrection power so that he could raise us up like this massive, mighty army on the earth, carrying out his will and doing greater things than even Jesus did. But if we can't achieve unity in the local body, how are we ever going to achieve it in the greater body? If we can't figure out how to get two or 300 people in unity, how are we going to get the hundreds of millions of believers in this world in unity? Come on now. That's right. 
Let me show you Ephesians 4, and we're just about done. Ephesians 4, this is the last scripture. Now, these are the gifts of, you've heard of the gifts of the Spirit. These are the gifts of Jesus, the gifts that Christ gave to the church. What are they? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Those are the gifts of, the, of, of Jesus. Why did he give us those? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's why it's not a spectator sport. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I mean, I have to do it myself. I have to do what I'm called to do, but you have to do what you're called to do. It's my job to help you recognize the call and get in it, get after it. All right, verse 13, I think, if I finish reading that. This will continue until, so when are, when is, when is, when are we going to be done with all this pastoring stuff? When are we going to be done with all this ministry stuff? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So what's, what's maturity look like? Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound so clever, that are so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every way, in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head uh, of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. There's the unity again. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The work, the purpose of the ministry is to bring everybody into such unity in the faith, into such knowledge of the Son, that we grow into one big, strong, powerful body engaged in the work of the kingdom. Every part serving where it's needed. Every person connected and involved. Giving their all for the goal to go and make disciples of all people. That's the kind of church this city needs us to be. That's the kind of church this county and this region and this state and this world needs us to be real, relational, and reaching. One where real spiritual power is in operation in God's people, where, where we build relationship and discipleship among people, where we're reaching out into a world that's lost and dying and hurting without Jesus. Listen, when your drug-addicted family member or friend finally agrees to come to church with you one time just so you'll shut up, you don't look for a church with great coffee and cool staging. You look for a church where the people believe in the power of Jesus to convict sin and deliver and set free. When your life has fallen apart, when you're bruised and battered, when you're betrayed and broken, you don't look for a church that preaches inspirational fluff. You need a church where they preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal you and to save you and to love you right where you are. God, help us be a people of power, 
a people of power, abounding in joy, operating in holiness, but joined in unity. That's the church Jesus was praying for. That's the church he prepared us to be. That's the church he gave his life for. And that's the church he sent his power for. And that's the power points that he was making the whole time. Now, I, I have been wrestling with this all week about how to wrap this up. How do I end this? Because I, di- I, 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 didn't, feel, um, I didn't feel peace about just ending the message uh, the, the way I just ended it. And so I, I, the Lord led me to these scriptures at the, at the very last minute this morning, right before I walked out the door to come here, because I just constantly, all night long, every time I woke up, I'm just, I'm just interceding, asking God to show me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to sh- show you this. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It's, it's living in God's power. 1 John 3 says, dear children, let's don't just merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we'll be confident when we stand before God. James 2, really, really famous passage of scripture. Some may argue some people have faith and some people have good deeds or works. I say, how, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my works or by my deeds. Listen, we're not going to be people of power by learning about power. We're not going to be people of power because we believe the power is real. We're people of power when we put it into practice. We're people of power when we make the decision to live our lives according to the directions of the spirit and not the directions of the flesh. You understand? We, we, so the only way for me to, to, to wrap this series up about spiritual power is for me to challenge you to make a decision today about whether or not you're going to, to walk in spiritual power. Or are you just going to be sort of the status quo cultural Christians that the churches are full of? It, it requires a choice. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to upset you or, or, or make you mad. I'm simply trying to poke you enough to get your attention, to recognize that there is more, there's more that God has for your life than we've found. You cannot find everything that God has for you until you begin to walk in the spiritual power. And so here's, here's where, the way I want to end this service. I know it's been lengthy, but, but I, want you to, I want you to bear with me. I want you to give me five minutes. And, and I want to fill that five minutes with prayer. I want every person to pray for five minutes. And, and they're going to come, and, and the team's going to come and lead us in a song so that it's not so awkward. And you can come to the altar. You can sit in your seat, whatever. Listen, unless you have an emergency that you have to leave, don't run for the door as soon as somebody bows their head. Okay? Please give God five minutes. Okay? Um, I want you to pray about two things in those five minutes.
First of all, I want you to pray about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Pray about your relationship with the Spirit. You can't be a person of spiritual power if you're disconnected from the source, and the source is the Holy Spirit. So pray about your relationship with Him. I have been in in so many different kinds of churches in my life, and I have seen so much ridiculous stuff blamed on the Holy Spirit that it clouds clouds people's judgment and view of, of who the Holy Spirit really is. So if you are that person that's just keeping the Holy Spirit at arm's length because you've seen craziness in the name of the Holy Spirit, then set all that mess aside. That wasn't Him. It wasn't Him. So get to know Him and just dip your toe in the river. Ezekiel talks about seeing a river that flows and, and then sometimes you just dip your toes in and sometimes you can go up this knee deep, sometimes you waist deep, sometimes it's water to swim in, it's water over your head. Just get in. Just get in at whatever level. So begin, so pray about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if you're bold enough and if you're brave enough and, or if you're desperate enough to see the spiritual power in your life, then just surrender to him and just say, Holy Spirit, I don't even know what I'm asking. I'm just saying, I know you're God. I know what you've got for me is good. So just lead me, lead me. And then quit worrying about everything else. Just dive in. Here's the second thing I want you to pray about. Um, Heather, if you're still there, put up the graphic, please, ma'am. So next week, I'm beginning a series called Heart Attacks. Heart Attacks. I've never done this before. I've never never really broached this subject. I have, but not quite this way. Uh, And I've never promoted a series like this before. I believe the last seven years of my ministry here as the pastor of this church has led me to this series that we're about to start. I believe the last seven years of my life have led me to this series that we're about to start. Now listen, you know I'm not the hype guy. I don't, I'm, not on, I'm not on social media every night talking about it's going to be epic tomorrow. I'm just telling you this is important. This series that we're about that we're about to enter into. This is not a health and nutrition series. We ain't talking about cholesterol and triglycerides and all that. So y'all just calm down, bring your biscuit, and come on. All right. Um, we are losing a war that we don't even know we're in. And so, it's time to shed some light on that. It's time to talk about it and not just talk about the problem, but find the solution and walk in the solution. Okay? Now, here's how this is related because some of you are, you are so sincere in your relationship with the Lord. You really passionately want to be people of spiritual power, but there's something that has held you back for years, maybe your whole life, something that, that has pushed you back from the supernatural in your life, from the work of the Spirit in your life, just something there, and you can't figure out what it is, I'm going to help you figure out what it is. And not just, I'm not going to berate you for it. I'm going to help you find your way through it and past it. Okay? I believe, I believe it this much. I don't have it planned out. I have no idea. I, I have no idea. I just know that this is where we have to go. I've got pages and pages of notes. And I have no idea how they're going to come together. don't know what the sermon titles are. I don't know how long it's going to last. 
I just know that we, this is not just for the, the body of Christ in America. This is for covenant life. And so I want, you, I want you to be here if you can. If you can't, if something happens, then please watch it on YouTube or listen to it on the podcast. But you have to stay connected and you have to stay up to date on, on what the Spirit is doing in your life. In your life. And so I want you to pray about two things. One, about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And two, I want you to pray about this upcoming series. I want you to begin to pray for yourself that your heart will be open. That your mind, that the, the Ephesians 2 and 18 says, open the eyes of my heart. And so I want you to begin to pray to prepare your heart because we're going to talk about some deep things. And you need to be prepared. Okay? I got everybody terrified. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. As a matter of fact, pray against fear in your life. Because anything new or anything different is going to naturally cause some fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything that God has for you. Okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, it's, it's 1238. At 1242, I'm, I'm um, dismissing the service. I'm asking you for five minutes to pray about those two things. I'm going to ask the team to come. You don't have to bow your head. You can watch them come up here. They're going to sing a song. We're going to be released in five minutes. But please take five minutes and pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.